This is a podcast by the Business Times. When we look at the traditional financial industry, banks, insurance companies, independent financial advisors, they all have their challenges providing advice to the mass affluent public. They spend a lot of money providing advisors for the high net worths and the ultra high net worths. As the times change, so does the world of finance. Some investors are still stuck on rules of investing that have become obsolete. And sticking with these old adages may hurt you in the long run. You know them. Private markets are only for the super rich. Try to time the market. Don't hold your portfolio in cash. And the list goes on. It's important to keep up with the latest trends, as well as understand which ones no longer apply. For instance, is it really all about DIY these days and robo-advisors? Surely a financial advisor is still the best way to go. Wait, what about fees? No getting around that, right? And the most appropriate and personalised advice seems to be reserved for the ultra-wealthy, leaving the rest of us in the dust. So as a start, let's talk about how we're losing out as a result of current models of wealth management advice. Welcome to Money Hacks, a podcast series by The Business Times, where we explore useful financial tips to help you on your money-managing and wealth-growing journey. I'm your host, Howie Lim, and Adam Reynolds, CEO, Saxo Market Singapore, is helping us out today. Well, I think that there's a few different aspects of that which are different for those different segments. Certainly, when we look at the traditional financial industry, banks, insurance companies, independent financial advisors, they all have their challenges providing advice to the mass affluent public. They spend a lot of money providing advisors for the high net worths and the ultra high net worths. But when we're looking at mass affluent, they're generally giving a much more generic product, which is not tailored to the needs of the individual at all, and is often driven by their desire to collect fees for selling products rather than actually giving advice that's useful for customers. So certainly in insurance, we know that their primary role as an insurance company is to provide insurance, but they've morphed into providing investments wrapped in insurance policies, which provide very little value for the clients at the end and and have very high fees embedded in them. When we look at banks, banks are very interested in selling products like mutual funds with trailing commissions and structured products with high inbuilt costs in them, which are not necessarily good for the clients that are investing in them. They may be, they may not be, but they're certainly not tailored to any of the individual clients. When you go to independent financial advisors, you are starting to get a little bit more advice that is more relevant for individuals, but they don't really have the skill set or the knowledge or the history to provide the sort of advice that individuals want. And they don't have the technology to build the sorts of things that they need to provide a scalable solution to individuals. Then finally, when we move on to the external asset managers, you've got a lot of good people in external asset management companies with a lot of experience, but they're usually going for the high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, not so much for the mass affluent. So they don't really have that reach, but they are at least providing advice that is more tailored. The wealth management industry is also in the midst of significant change, a new generation of investors whose expectations and preferences have been shaped by new technologies and by their living through the last financial crisis. This is all bringing new standards to the industry in terms of how advice and investment products are being delivered, plus a challenging investment environment made distinctive by increased levels of uncertainty and rising costs of risk to investors is probably going to make it harder for advisors to generate superior investment performance for their clients. 
Shifting demographics with the aging of advisors and an upcoming transfer of wealth from baby boomers to their children will upset many established advisor-client relationships and create opportunities for new investment models, which cater to the deferring needs of today's savvy investor. Or will they? Because it all seems to point to financial services being not very inclusive and regular Joes being priced out of professional wealth management services. Yeah, it's really a question of scalability. None of the financial institutions that I've mentioned have got the technology that can provide an individual solution to a large number of people. So they rely on selling more generic products rather than bespoke products. It has been the way of the world, but I think that you know, with technology, the cost of providing these services has come down quite a lot. We can provide them at a much better cost point for a lot more people, which means that we can provide them to people who don't have as many assets as the high net worth and ultra high net worth may have. And we can give them access to higher quality financial products and financial advice than they otherwise would have got on a very manual service. And just how feasible would it be to provide that kind of bespoke professional wealth management services to the mass affluent? And what sort of paradigm shift is required or a combination of the models that were talked through earlier? Yeah, I think it's something that's continuing to evolve and continuing to improve as we understand how investments should be dealt with for individuals according to their plans and how different investment horizons impact the amount of risk that any particular investor takes on. But I think first and foremost in this, Howie, it's important for all investors to be able to understand what their own risk level is and what their own loss tolerance is. Some people have more loss aversion than others. The important part of tailoring a portfolio for a client is understanding how that client is going to feel when things are not going well. And if the portfolio is too risky for them and it induces them to stop their investments when the portfolio has gone down, then that's not a good thing and that usually leads to a poor outcome. So first and foremost, it's people understanding themselves and being honest in the questions to assess that and then us building a portfolio that suits that risk assessment and that loss aversion that a person has. Still to come. It can avoid that cycle of buying with FOMO when the market is going up and then selling with fear when the market is going down, which is very destructive to people's wealth. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Investors often chase returns, gravitating to a hot manager or asset class, especially during bull markets. Adam from Saxo espouses tech as the great leveler. How though? Given sure robo-advisors can be less emotional, can they be targeted and personalized enough? And are we talking about personalizing an investment plan for 7 billion people? Well, you can if you ask the right questions and if people give the right answers. Because at the end of the day, the difference, Harry, between you and uh, your colleague who sits next to you may be about what your plans are, what your goals are, where you want to go in life and what you want to do with your money. Most people that I know, the money is not there for them because they want to have a big balance. It's there for them because they want to use it for something. And most people who have some sort of anxiety about money is their anxiety that they're not going to have enough money to fulfill their needs and aspirations for the future. And that's why we build our plans for people based on what their needs and aspirations are in the future and how important those goals are as the basis for building the portfolio. 
Given robo-advisors aren't known to be warm and fuzzy or hold your hand in a crisis, what really is the draw given what Adam is suggesting is wealth management which is as personalised and as catered to an individual investor as possible? The robo-advisory offering typically at the moment is providing people with a portfolio that is decided upon according to their risk bucket. So most of the robo-advisors use a five-risk bucket portfolio. So you're either, you know, you want a balanced portfolio or you want a defensive or a very defensive or an aggressive or a very aggressive portfolio. But the portfolio for anyone who invests in those is going to be the same and it's not going to take into account the goals and the timeliness of the goals and the importance of those goals for each individual. So as you know, Harry, if, if you've got a need to spend money in the next 12 months, you should not be investing that into a risky portfolio because the chances of that money being drawn down by a market sell-off and not recovering is quite high. If you need the money in five years' time, then it's much safer to invest in a portfolio of stocks because the probability of that drawdown occurring and recovering is much higher. And what that means is as you get closer to the need for the money, you should be reducing your risk in the portfolio. And that's what the product that we have built does. Most robo-advisors, none that I've seen, really have that drawdown in risk as you approach your goals built into what they do because they don't really assess your portfolio in the same way. And is there even a point to looking into all this given second half of 2022 isn't looking too great at the moment? Why not just head for the hills and stay there until it all blows over? In fact, as volatile as this year's been so far, experts say to stay prepared for even more shifting. Consumer spending is changing, and the overall set of factors are completely unique when compared to anything that's come before. Well, I'm out of here. But maybe Adam isn't. It's a a difficult question. So, you know, there's two different timeframes that we're thinking about and we're discussing. Most of what we're talking today about is wealth management on a longer timeframe. And on that time frame, we've seen a very aggressive sell-off in both fixed income and equities so far this year, which is unusual, extremely unusual. We've started to see a bounce in both over the last few days as the likelihood of a recession is increasing, which means that the likelihood of interest rates going a lot higher is being reduced. But I'm not sure how long that theme will continue in the market because we still have an inflation problem that is not yet being solved. And it's not necessarily clear that a recession will solve the inflation problem. So I think that it's definitely good to be cautious in the second half of this year. It's definitely good with the market down so much already to slowly scale into investments. But you probably want to have a nice balanced portfolio between stocks and bonds and not be heavily overweight one or the other, in my view, going forward. Well, I guess that means the biggest risk of all is not taking one. After all, it's better to be roughly right than precisely wrong. Big thanks to Adam Reynolds, CEO Saxo Market Singapore. This has been Money Hacks. I'm Howie Lim. Till next time. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. 
This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.